As long as I shall live, I will testify to love. I'll be a witness in the silences when words are not enough. And every breath I take, I will give thanks to God above. For as long as I shall live, I will testify to love. As long as I shall live, I will testify to love. I'll be the witness in the silences when words are not enough. And every breath I take, I will give thanks to God above. For as long as I shall live, I will testify to love. For as long as I shall live, I will testify to love. I'll be a witness in the silences when words are not enough. And every breath I take, I will give thanks to God above. For as long as I shall live, I will testify to
you, Jesus, that we don't have to fight for ourselves. We don't have to be our own defender. We don't have to be self-made. We don't have to make it happen. Thank you that it doesn't all depend on us. Thank God for that. Lord, we actually even repent of the places that we thought it did. Forgive us, Lord, for trying to take back the steering wheels of our lives. for your ministry in this place. We invite you to do what you do. We acknowledge your presence here. We acknowledge your power. We acknowledge your holiness. We declare you are worthy. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive honor and power glory and blessings forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Yeah, he's so faithful. He shows up every time. All right, without killing the mood too much, we have to do announcements. Nothing much has changed since last week, but I do have a really, really exciting update from the friends down at the tent. Um, So I will pull that up here. So this is incredible. It's like I can't even, I mean, wrap my mind around it. It's amazing. So at the tent event, which they are now continuing because the Lord was working so powerfully there, We actually left our tent with them, and they have people that are going to bring it back up to us, but it was going so well, and the fire of God fell so strong, they actually are continuing the event, which is incredible. So they had 68 salvations and 55 baptisms. Um, So that's, we're so thankful, and just know, like, that's because of your support, and that's because of this body and what the Lord's doing here and spreading to other places. It's just incredible that we get to be a part of that. But let it be an encouragement that, like, your support here and your investment here and your time and your ties and everything else is, like, it really does matter. Like, there are really big things happening in the kingdom because we're, you know, consistently sowing in. So just thank you guys for being so faithful in that. And, um... I thought Cameron was flagging me down, but he was waving to a baby. Okay. 
my eyesight is not that great anyway, and with the lights, <laughs> he's literally going like this in the back. <laughs> okay, but so that's very exciting. Um, we're so thankful for that. I can't wait to hear what this week has in store for them down there and just the things that God is doing through the tent that he provided for us, and it's just so exciting. So continue praying for their event, and um, our team, uh, luckily Brad and Shannon are getting to stay for a few extra days for a much-needed sabbatical, um, much-deserved, much-well-deserved, and um, that's not a real saying, much well, but anyway, they really deserve it, uh, and so we're just happy for them, and the rest of the team will be coming back as well, so thank God for that. Um, what else? The Summer Bash will be July 30th, so that's coming up, so that'll be in place of Sunday service. Um, good live music, not exactly what you heard today, but two-thirds of what you heard today, and then another third, <laughs> I believe. Are we playing for that? The 20th? Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> there will be live music. I don't know who it will be, but it will be really good. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think you're right. I'll think, about, I'll think about it. Yeah, maybe, maybe Travis, maybe not. It'll be surprise special music guests. Um, <laughs> why do you guys keep making me do this? <laughs> um, okay, anyway, so for our kids' church, we have something really exciting coming up. We're starting a new curriculum in the fall, so that'll kick off kind of coinciding with the school year, and it goes like a school year would, so it'll end in the spring, but it is very informative. It's going to like drench our kids in biblical knowledge, chronological knowledge of the Bible. Um, there's verses and activities for every lesson. It's, it's really good. I, I've loved what I've seen of it. And um, so we went through a lot of different curriculums. This is one we ended up on. And trust me, we take our kids' curriculums very seriously. We, um, we know how important that is. And so this is a really good one. Um, we should have a video for you guys sometime about that, just kind of introducing it. Um, other than that, yes, we are podcasting now, which is so cool. So instead of going to Facebook, which who gets on Facebook anymore? I'm just kidding. I know a lot of the people that's right too. But you can actually go to Apple Podcasts, um, assuming all of you have an iPhone, which we still have people that bring cash to church, so I don't know how many people in this room have iPhones. <laughs> I'm not going to stop with that. I think it's really funny. Um, but anyone who has an iPhone, it's on Apple Podcasts, so you can look it up. And it's just New Heights. You can search New Heights. You'll see our logo. NHCTN. Is it also on the website? Yes. Okay. So it's also on our new website, which is nhctn.com. And uh, so you can find that. And then you can, like, turn your phone off and listen to it in the car. You don't have to keep the Facebook app open to watch the video, which is fantastic. So we're going to continue to keep improving that. We're going to get non-directional mics, hopefully, <laughs> sometime. So it doesn't sound like um, like it does now. <laughs> I don't think I'm missing anything. Is that it? Anyone else get anything? All right. I think we're good. Um, so Pastor Rick is speaking this morning. So if you guys would welcome him, we're going to turn it over, and we'll get into that portion of the message. 
Good morning, New Heights. So I woke up this morning, I said, I knew it was going to be an amazing day. Have you ever woke up and said, dude, I am in the last hole of my belt and this is going to be an amazing day? Anybody ever do that? Anybody? The last hole. Never seen that ever, ever. Oh, hey, can we call our ushers up here before we get started and uh, we'll pray and then we'll start now that we got the great day started. Not to mention the joy of the Lord, right? But the last hole is amazing. Hank, you want to pray? Thank you, Father, for today. Thank you that we are able to come and gather together and worship you. We ask that you receive our tithes and our offerings as we worship you with it. It's yours to begin with, and you've, you've blessed us, so we return it to you. Thank you for this day that what we hear today will touch us, stay with us, and we'll pass it on. We're so grateful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's get started. And just for those of you who know that Brad does not like the coffee shop I go to, I went to the coffee shop that he goes to. Okay? Uh, I did my own artwork right there and just trying to make it unique. So, Lassiter's, can you? It's a long name, and I had a big marker, but it kind of goes around. So, anyways. Brad will enjoy the fact that I'm going to the same coffee shop as him. Oh, it's not open today. I warmed this up this morning in a microwave. <laughs> All right, so the message, I don't have any slides today. I figured we don't need them. Um, the message is about flawed people and how God uses flawed people, and the title is uh, Walking in Our Flaws. And... I was doing just looking up some of the stories of the Bible, and everyone knows about David and his adulterous affair, and um, you know how he, he actually committed murder. But he was still a, a man after God's own heart. They know the story about Moses and his speech impediment, and his disobedience, and his unwillingness, going kicking and screaming. You've heard that before. That typically, I used to do that all the time. Um, but uh, it just shows us that God can use us regardless of our flaws and it just shows that uh, he can use anyone regardless of their flaws and so I just wanted to get started with um, how God uses some of the flawed people and basically um, some of the consequences that come along with, with those flaws some people call them sin um, so I guess a flaw isn't necessarily a sin unless, unless you allow it to bring you to that place where it turns to sin. So we all have flaws. I mean, unless you're living in denial and thinking you don't have any hurts, habits, or hang-ups, then we all have flaws. And I'm sure if we did some survey today and said, hey, it's requirement homework Sunday, today you're coming up and you're going to give your worst sin, worst flaw, darkest secret, 
probably none of us would show back up here next Sunday. So when we realize the people in the outside world, if we want to say that, outside the walls of this church, they get a tendency to think that we walk in here and we've all got it together and we're just perfect people in a perfect world living in harmony, and they do not realize just how screwed up we are, right? So that's why you have people walking around saying, oh, you know, those churches, they're full of uh, hypocrites and this and that because they see us one way and then they see us another way. You know, we, it used to be a joke back home when we were kids because all of our family went to Catholic church and they would go to Catholic church on Sunday and then Saturday night they could drink alcohol and play bingo downstairs in the church. I mean, who knew? Um, but that's where people get so dismayed about churches because we come in, we put these masks on, we think, you know, we need to pretend to be a certain way. And we're not doing anybody any favors when, when we do that because it just puts on a false pretense and then people feel, I can't go to that church. Man, look at those people. Look at the cars they drive. Look at the clothes they wear. Look at how they've got it all together. Look how perfect their family is, you know, and they don't realize you just knocked the crap out of the kid in the back seat on the way to church because they were messing up, right? But you just go to church and you pretend like everything is amazing. And... So I was thinking how we act differently in front of our church family versus people outside in the real world. And one of the thoughts I I came up with from years ago, I was doing this fast. And uh, it was happened to be on a day that our pastor and uh, basically the entire church and a bunch of guys from Celebrate Recovery were going on a motorcycle trip. And we were we were living in Maine at the time. And and so I reluctantly said I was going to go, knowing I was on a fast. I didn't know the whole story where they were going. And my wife had made me a gallon of um, water with lemon and cayenne. That was my gallon of sustenance for the day, if you will. And so I get to the church. We meet. Everything is great. And they're like, hey, we're going to drive to Freeport, and we're going to the lobster cooker. Well, I'm like, really? That's where we would go every week when I'd fly back home. That was my Friday morning trip. I'd take the motorcycle to school, pick my wife up. We'd go up to Freeport, eat at our favorite place called the Lobster Cooker. And these dudes are going there on a motorcycle trip for the day, and I'm fasting, right? So we, I just said, all right, Lord, whatever. You know, I'm just going to go. I'll drink this stupid lemonade and continue doing this fast. I can't remember what I was fasting about, but it had to be important for me not to have food for the day. So... We get on the bikes, we drive up there, and as we're pulling in the parking lot, my mind starts to already go to a place where, all right, I'm not going in to eat with these guys, so I'm going to tell them I have a conference call to get on, but I know there's a cigar shop down the hill that I can walk to, and as I'm saying that, there's another voice in my head saying, are you the biggest idiot on the planet? Are you going to lie to your Christian brothers right now on this trip and you're going to lie to them and tell them that you're going on a conference call, but you know you're going to have a cigar, right? But that's where, I, that's where my head was. I mean, I'm just being transparent. And I remember saying, no, I'm probably not going to do that. I'm not going to lie to all my Christian brothers. So I told them, I said, hey, you guys go eat at our favorite lobster place, have a great lunch. I'm going down the hill to have a cigar, to which they didn't really give a rip. I mean, but that's where my head went initially. Like, I need to look or act different in front of these guys because I don't want them to think I'm a heathen, only to find out later that I was pretty well set compared to all those guys. 
But um, so I went, they did, we got back. It ended up being a good day. That Thursday night, I had to teach at Celebrate Recovery. And I'm not much of a studier, not much of a reader. I wish I could tell you I prepare a lot. Um, but I get there, I open up the book, say, hey, Rick, you're teaching tonight. I'm like, okay, what am I teaching on? And the title was, Do You Act Different in Front of Your Christian Friends Versus Your Non-Christian Friends? Yeah. I'm like, really? So when we can be transparent and when we can be authentic in front of everybody and our behavior exemplifies we truly are seeking after the Lord, that doesn't mean we can walk in, obe- in disobedience and, and, I guess, uh, deliberate sin. Because if that's the case, then you have an issue because God won't be mocked. And it's not a case where we sin, we did this tonight, we went out, we got drunk, we came home, we had a fight, and we say we're never going to do it again, we repent, and then next week we're already planning on doing that same thing again. There's a difference between when we sin, when we have a flaw, when we slip, when we whatever, and we get back and we repent and we have a repentive heart. Um, I remember on another occasion... um, and again, how we see people in the outside world. I met these guys at a business trip years ago. Um, they, uh, an executive team from a large, very large supermarket chain that's well known all over the country. And the guy that I dealt with, I just loved this guy. He just seemed to be an amazing guy, single dad, had a daughter, and uh, shirt and tie guy. And uh, he was big into NASCAR racing, and he always went to the Bristol Motor Speedway every year, twice a year. I guess they have a summer, spring race, and a fall race. And um, I remember we shared about our family, shared about our testimony, our our church, our journey, and our walk. And I remember uh, going to his office just before the race, and he said, hey, the race is coming up. You want to get some tickets? I can get you some tickets, and we'll go and uh, – you can bring some guys with you. And so I'm thinking, okay, who do I know that's in a NASCAR? Because it's not me. But I'm sure it'd be some value to spend time with these guys and the customer and all that. So I get four tickets. I go back to Maine, and I'm planning this trip. And our pastor at the time, our associate pastor, and um, my brother-in-law, all huge NASCAR guys. So there's, there's the four of us. So we get on a, I get our flights. We come to Nashville. We stay here for the night. First thing we land on the ground, those guys are asking me if there's a cigar shop around here. And I'm like, all right, yeah, for me or for you guys? And they're like, no, for us. I'm like, yeah, we can find one. So we found a cigar shop. We hung out at the hotel. Uh, We ended up going to Knoxville the next morning or wherever, down to Bristol. And I had to pick the tickets up from these guys. So now, granted, I'm I'm thinking I'm walking into the same thing I saw these guys at in their office, shirts and ties, and just well-behaved guys, all about family, right? Well, if you ever go to a NASCAR race, you're probably not going to see that. They sent me a text, and this guy that I dealt with all the time, great guy, Keith says, hey, uh, we're over here at the, at the Grove or whatever, where all the RVs are. Meet us over here. I got your tickets. I said, okay. So we, we head over there, and it was about 1030 in the morning, these guys were in the condition they should have been in at 10.30 at night. And I walked up there, and there's the pastor, there's the associate pastor, there's my brother-in-law, and there's all these dudes that look like they just came out of a, a road trip with Larry the Cable Guy, and they've got weed whackers. 
I've never seen anything like it. Weed whackers made into margarita mixers. And they're starting these two-stroke engines up, and they're mixing all this stuff, and they're blending them in this weed whacker thing. <laughs> and they are so drunk. I mean, it's 1030 in the morning, and I'm thinking, surely them guys are never going to this race at 4 o'clock or 7 o'clock tonight. And so now I'm trying to think, how do I protect these guys from seeing this like they're innocent or something because they, they were pastors. I mean, that's what I was thinking at the time. And, and so these guys come out, hey, Rick, come on in. We get you some beers. And I'm like, I'm good. These guys all had a beer and gave us our tickets, and we exited stage right as soon as we possibly could. And I said, that was mortifying. That was embarrassing. It was actually shocking to me because I knew him one way, and I thought he would be the same way <clears throat> when I saw him outside. So I was never expecting what I saw. And I guess I was still very naive. So now I just go about the day knowing that all of you are as screwed up as me. So if I ever see you someplace out, I'm not going to be shocked, okay? But so we get to the race, and we walk in, and we're walking down this ramp, and they got all the booths and and everything, and it's a big band stage, and it's a Jack Daniels, and they're like, hey, let's go down to the Jack Daniels. Now, it's just the four of us. Those drunken guys are all still back in the Grove, probably never going to see the light of day. And uh, so I'm thinking, there's no way they're going to make it to the race, because that would be even more mortifying, trying to sit with them during this race, and none of them can even put a sentence together, let alone a couple words. So... We go, we go to the Jack Daniels tent, listen to a little music, they have a drink. I'm like, okay, let's go walk around, let's go buy some t-shirts, let's go get those headphones that you can hear everyone talking. Now it's getting close to a race time within a couple hours, and I guess there's 140,000 people at Bristol Motor Speedway. They always say you're 140,000 in the bowl near your closest family and friends and, and unknown family members you've never seen. And... We're walking down, and we're heading into the racetrack, and I, see, I hear someone saying, hey, Rick. I mean, there's a grove of people. There's got to be 10,000 people right around us. And I hear, Rick Sturgis. And I'm, I don't even want to look back because I have an idea who it is because there's nobody else there that knew me. It was all those dudes that were drunk in the campground four hours earlier actually stumbling into the race to sit with us. Anyways, we went to the race. Luckily, I'd never been to one. It was so dang loud that even with the headphones and mouth lip syncing to one another from six inches away, you couldn't hear anybody. So thankfully, my pastor and, and his, his associate pastor, my brother-in-law, never heard any other offensive words the rest of the night because they couldn't hear over those cars. But, you know, I was reminded of that story because I remember how it, it kind of took me back when I realized I knew this guy one way and what my expectations were, but then I saw him in a whole different light. Not that I expect everyone to be perfect, but and not that I expected him to be drunk in his office with a shirt and tie on and disorderly, but I guess when you start to talk to someone, you get to know them, you think their lifestyle is sort of like going back to, and I don't like to talk about politics, but when you go back to the Bill Clinton days and they used to say, well, whatever happens at his work is different than what happens in his home, that's not true. Because you can only serve one master, you can only serve one Lord, and if you're living one way, 
one day a week, and then you're living another way the other six days of the week, or if I go to my office and I don't wa operate in integrity or authenticity, and I'm not telling people about my faith or, hey, we're going to pray about this business deal or we're going to do this, then I'm not doing them any favors. If I'm yucking it up and I'm swearing just like they are, then what's that say about my witness, my testimony? And I think as long as we understand that, and that's why we're called to be separate from the world. We're called to be uh, in a place where people see us as a light and they're, you know, they want to be like us, not like me, Rick, but like the Holy Spirit that's in me and be consistent in their family. Now, my family knows me better than anybody, obviously, and they've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and I guess one of the things on um, when your family sees you, sometimes it can be heart, heart disheartening for them to see you when you have a temper tantrum or when you have a meltdown, as my kids call it. Dad's in meltdown mode. But they know you, but that doesn't give us an excuse because we're supposed to be an example to our family. And sometimes we get caught up in, you know, Bree said it today when she was talking about how we fight our battles and it's not our battles to fight, it's not our things to fix, it's not our way to take care of. And I remember years ago making a commitment saying, Lord, I, I can't do this job without you. It was going back 25 years ago. And... And I made that commitment to him that I wasn't going to go a day alone. And if it wasn't for him going before me and his goodness and his divine appointments, then I wasn't going. It just wasn't going to happen. I knew it. And sometimes we make those commitments and we do really well um, at staying the course. But then Bree mentioned something today when she was praying about taking the steering wheel back into our own, our own hands. And I don't know if many of you have ever committed something to the Lord, come up to the altar, said, I'm leaving this at your feet, Jesus. I'm at the foot of the cross. I'm turning and I'm going away. And then next week, you've got it back in your hands and you're trying to steer through that, that whole situation. And uh, so there was a time, uh, some time ago, I was sharing with a friend of mine and just guy talk. We were talking about our testimonies and just men, what they try to do, how they try to fix. And we were talking about sometimes we can think that we can fix things in our lives or we're great at fixing everything else, but we can't necessarily fix ourselves. We can't necessarily fix those things within us or those dynamics within our family. And I remember as I was sharing, again, always like two voices going on. I'm hearing myself talk, but then I'm hearing something else say, hey, you remember that story with Tanner? Um, and then all of a sudden I remembered. So, you know, here we are sharing. I think I'm being authentic and truthful and honest. And, but I really had this feeling like, man, I've really, I really kicked it out of the park on this one because I've been really on a roll. And I've trusted God with finance, with job, with the kids, with the grandkids. And I'm not always trying to fix anybody most of the time. Sometimes I fall back into that. But anyways, we meet for dinner one night with Tanner and Grace, who are not here today because um, Grace's parents came in, and they're preparing for the one-year birthday party for Maverick today. So they've got their hands full. Um, we'll see them later on today, but um, I know they miss seeing everybody. So anyways, I'm sharing this story, and I'm really feeling good about myself. Not prideful, but just good, like, hey, I really got this thing under wraps. It's, it's been a good role. And then God's like, remember that little meltdown you had with Tanner a couple years ago? So I had to share that story. 
And it was basically, talk about taking something back into your own hands. We're sitting there at Roadhouse or someplace having dinner. Tanner gets there from work. Four of us are sitting there talking, and he just started a new job, and things are going great. They got their house. They're ready to have Maverick. And he says, hey, yeah, so-and-so, a couple of buddies of mine from school called me, and they wanted me to, you know, talk about maybe doing some work for them. Well, it, it, all I had to do was hear that, and I went into this absolute place that I should not have gone, but it was basically a place of, all the risks that are involved, what is this kid talking about? Has he lost his mind? Is he going to jeopardize his job that he just started for a couple of knuckleheads that couldn't tie their shoes when they were seniors in high school? And he's going to throw this all out the window to do a side gig. I need to talk him off of this. And I just go into this whole crazy place and end up actually walking out of the restaurant because it got so heated and it didn't seem like he was really taking my advice. He didn't seem to be receiving it very well. Don't know why. I thought I had a pretty smooth delivery. And, and I left. And I didn't feel good about it. But I still felt like I was right and I was saying the right things and I was protecting him. And I was warning him of all the pitfalls. And you could jeopardize a very good paying job that takes care of your family and your mortgage for a couple of things that are going to distract you and this and that. And I'm just going down this whole, this whole place. So we don't talk for about four or five days, and they come over to the house, and Tanner walks in, like, hey. I'm like, hey. He says, uh, we need to talk. And the first thing I think of is, I'm about to get scolded by my 20-year-old son. So what do we need to talk about? He said, last week. I said, okay, what, what are we talking about? He said, well, you remember? I, oh, yeah, I remember. And all he had to do was say, Dad, I came there not looking for advice. I came there not looking to be protected. I was just sharing a part of my day. I didn't say I ever had any intentions of jumping the ship or jeopardizing my job. I was just sharing my day. And you went into this mode where you just felt you had to unload on me and protect me and tell me all the bad things that could possibly happen to me. And I remember seeing the hurt. And it broke my heart to think that I had hurt him that way. It wasn't my intention. But instead of asking questions or just engaging in a conversation, I had to go down that place of where I was lecturing, protecting, pointing out all the pitfalls, all the operational things that run through my head systematically, and all the, the reasons why not, rather than just listening. And when he said, it really hurt me that we couldn't just have a conversation and I could just talk to you and you could listen and it would be okay. And I remember saying, I'm sorry, can you forgive me? And he said, yeah. And I had to repent. I had to ask the Lord to, to forgive me because I took back that, that thing. And it wasn't until just recently sitting there and sharing with this friend of mine that I had that realization that I didn't have that flaw taken care of. I didn't have it 100% mastered. And I slipped. And it wasn't good. But... I did what I had to do. I repented, and I, I grew from it, and I had an understanding of it. And I told the Lord, I don't, I don't want that. I'm, that's not who I am. I have a lot of those stories, and I know none of you do. And I feel bad for you. No, I'm just kidding.
So Abraham was called by God to leave his home and go to a new land, but he lied about his wife being his sister. This shows us that even the most faithful people can still have flaws. Jacob was a deceiver who tricked his father into giving him his brother's blessing. This shows us that even those who are chosen by God can still have flaws. Moses was chosen by God to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. He had a speech impediment. This shows us that God can use anyone regardless of their flaws. David was an adulterer, a murderer, but he was still a man after God's own heart. This shows us that God can use flawed people for his purposes. And even Peter, we always end up talking about Peter. I shared about him at the, at the tent a while back where Jesus talks to Peter in Luke 21, 31, before he was crucified. One of, one of Peter's big flaws, and I never realized until I did the research, I heard a lot of messages about him. The big fisherman, he's very vocal and outgoing, um, always ready to go at a moment's notice, cut somebody's ear off if he needed to. But he was just very zealous, and... Jesus talks to him before, just before he's crucified, and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all, that, all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. A little bit of pride. And then Jesus answers him and says, Surely I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. And so we all know the story. He denied Jesus three times and then had that sort of that realization that I just had after sharing about thinking I made that hurdle of fixing everything and then re being reminded of the story with Tanner. And uh, I think we all go through those things. And some of us, are in those places and we stay there way too long because the quickest way to get out of those places is just to repent. I heard a, st a story a long time ago, be quick to repent, but be quicker to receive his forgiveness because he is quick to forgive. And he forgets. Our sins are separated as far as the east is from the west. So when I get into a place and my wife's like, you done yet? I'm like, nope, no freaking way. I'm not done yet. And she's like, are you sure you're not done yet? I mean, no, I'm staying here for quite a while because I can tell how I feel. I'm going to be here a long time, so I'll tell you when I'm done. And, but she's relentless, and she'll finally – I know Brad has a little story, saying that he uses with Shannon when he messes up. She'll be like, I know you are. That's code for you're not saying you're sorry, but I know you are sorry, so I'm going to say it for you so we can move on from this little hurdle. In my case, she said, are you done yet? And I'm always, my first response is never simple, yes, my love, I'm done. I'm sorry, I went to this dark place. I'm sorry I had a meltdown. No, it's always a hard no. And then we have to ease our way out of that into a place of, okay, I'm sorry. What? I'm sorry. You don't sound like you mean it. I'm sorry. Why are you yelling? I'm not yelling. I'm just telling you I'm freaking sorry. Why are you saying that? You're yelling, see? I'm like, I am not yelling. I am loud to begin with. This has been in our household for 30 years. And Bree and Jordan, it's always like Bree and Jordan. Jordan's real quiet. Tanner and Grace, real quiet. Dad's always loud. 
I ha I'm sure I have some hearing loss being in a band for 10 years and riding next to real loud motorcycles. So I tend to talk loud, but they always say, it's your tone. I'm like, I don't have a tone. I'm just talking. No, you have an edge. I don't have an edge. What do you mean I have an edge? I'm just talking to you guys. What's your problem? Is that edgy? Come on. Give me a break. This is my life, right? So how do we move beyond? We overcome our flaws and our sins by recognizing that first we have them. Those things the accuser comes at us with, with judgmental thoughts, lustful thoughts, unforgiveness, walking in worries in parts of our lives that we feel that the need to control, like our spouse, our children, our finances. Or some of us are just in denial and we don't think we really have any flaws, which is a little bit scary to me. We have to realize that we don't control, nor can we fix any of those. But in wisdom, we just say, Lord, I have nothing, and I need you to take this from me, and I give it to you freely. It's then that we can sit back in faith and watch him do the unimaginable and the miraculous that only he can do. We've been married like 32 years. I can remember the first 10 years. I had so many jobs. It was unbelievable. I only had like four jobs in my whole life up until we got married, until I got married to Colleen the second time. Well, the first time to her, but my second marriage. And anyways, I only had like four jobs and I get married and I'm clean, I'm sober, best worker I've ever been. I'm, I've been running shoe factories my whole life, but now I'm doing it sober, clean-minded, good heart, all that stuff. And I couldn't keep a job. I mean, it was like the dumbest thing on the planet. I've working at woodworking factories, things are under budget, everybody's happy, I get fired. I'm working at security, I'm working at a health club, I'm doing telemarketing, I'm working for a payroll service company, I'm doing all this stuff. And her family reaches out and says, hey, in the beginning they thought I was a good guy and they said, hey, Rick, you need to watch Kali because she drinks a lot, and she's falling asleep, smoking. That's her testimony. And she's going to burn her apartment building down, so you can keep an eye on her. I'm like, okay. And with me, it was like, Collie, what's wrong with Rick? Can't he keep a job? I'm like, that's never been an issue before, but I guess the last 10 years. And I'd come home, and she's always been light years ahead of me in our walk and hearing from the Lord. Uh, I think it's because I don't listen as well or I stay too busy. I'm not sure what it is. But I'd always come home, lost another job, and I'd be so ticked, and I'd be weeping, and she'd be like, oh, I know, but that's just God's way of drying up the stream. I'm like, what? Drying up the stream? What are you even talking about? Well, you know, the dove and the green leaf and going back, he had to dry up the stream to get, who was it to move? Elijah, yeah. Oh, yeah, the story of Elijah. Go read that one. He's living large and happy, and then all of a sudden the stream dries up, and the birds aren't bringing him no food. She uses that analogy after I got fired from, like, my fifth or sixth job. I'm like, really? Is this what you got? That's not very encouraging. She's like, no, I'm just telling you, that's, that's how it works. And I started to realize, I mean, it was so crazy, and I heard a pastor. My morning commute was from Maine to Richmond, Virginia, 
in parts in between the different parts of the states that I ran, and I listened to AM radio stations every morning, and back then we didn't have podcasts, and you just chose the early AM stations, and you listened to these pastors, and almost every day, every week, they would speak a message that spoke to my situation as if they knew. And I remember hearing one of those guys say, don't limit God to what you can see for your own life because his ways and his thoughts and his views are so much bigger. And that's when I realized, okay, God must be at work in something because I was ready to retire at any one of those jobs at any time and be totally happy for the rest of our life. Um, and that's another story for another day. But uh, that was, you know, during our first 10 years, it was a huge humbling process and awareness of self-reliance on God and God alone. Not, uh, not self-reliance, but a reliance on God and God alone. And sometimes it's not easy. And sometimes we take things back. And we got to recommit and say, God, would you forgive me? I, didn't, I don't want to take this from your hands because I know your ways and your plans are much better than this. Um, when we realize that we don't have the power to change and we understand our weaknesses, then he can be strong in our lives when we surrender all those areas that we hold on to. There's nothing I'm reading that makes me emotional right now, so I'm not sure what's going on but I guess it's just his power I'm still amazed that after 32 years of serving him when I share my testimony in transparency and authenticity and it is what it is and it's not sugar-coated and it's not colored to be something that it's not it, it can just be what it is I am always reminded at how awesome God has been in our lives and when I think God what are you going to use as part of this testimony um, that is going to allow someone to maybe learn something that will help them or encourage them. It's never the thing that I think of. It's always like the stupidest thing that I said all night, and I'm, people will come up after and say, man, Rick, I didn't know you read your part of my testimony back in the old day when I had my rollover accident in 89 and almost died and told God I'd never drink again. I swore on my three kids' lives I'd never drink again. That was the beginning of the, the journey. If he got me out of this without going to jail... And um, and he did, and I did, and that's been the beginning. But part of that transformation and part of those first 10 years and God's preparation to move us to another place in our spiritual walk and, and start to continue to serve as opposed to just singing at church every week, um, we started to minister, and then we started to work with recovery groups. I realized that the more I shared my testimony, First of all, I kept it fresh and real because I shared every week. And I shared it at business trips. Uh, I, I was talking to this friend of mine, telling him about this big deal that we were putting together, and I had brought a couple of vice presidents that worked for me to this meeting. We were doing this big presentation. It was probably a $8 million deal at the time, which was big for us because we were doing maybe $30 million at the time. So $8 million was a big deal. Um, and uh, I remember sitting in this guy's office with my two guys and he had his two guys so we all had our entourage and right out of the gate this guy was not buying what I was selling he could not give a rip about the presentation he didn't like outsourced companies he didn't like contract management companies and I remember God just 
touching my heart that I needed to make a connection with this guy that was not about business but was more about man-to-man uh, -man and, and maybe share my testimony with him. I didn't know why, but I knew God was saying it. So we get to the end of the meeting. He dismissed his guys. I told my guys I'd meet him out in the lobby. Um, and, uh, and something just stirred up inside of me that I needed to make this connection. And I remember saying, man, I like that Pittsburgh Steelers shrine you have behind your, your desk there. And he's like, oh, yeah, isn't that awesome? He had all kinds of legit helmets and autographed uh, placards and jerseys and I mean it was a shrine I said yeah I got one but it's quite a bit smaller and it's a different team and he's like what's what's a team I said New England Patriots he's like well I feel bad for you I said yeah I know I said but when we live in Maine for your whole life that's pretty much all you got for teams to choose from is so we start talking and next thing I know I'm starting about my car accident 89 the beginning of my journey where we are today and God just shows up in the most amazing way, and we're both sitting there just weeping. And he said, Rick, I've been doing this for, whatever, 35 years. He said, I've never had anybody come in and share their faith or their testimony the way you did today. And he said, I've been telling our church that we need to move from our pews and move out into the public and start to share what God's doing in our lives. And he said, I'm grateful that you were bold enough to share your testimony with me today. And so we gather ourselves up because now we're both sitting in this dude's office weeping like a couple of babies. And he comes over and gives me a hug and says, man, I just want to thank you for your time, but I want to thank you more for carrying the Lord with you. And I'm always amazed why God will use me in such ways because I never feel like I'm the guy to be used. I'm the Moses. I'm the Peter. I'm the David. I've done all that bad stuff, and yet... Somehow he still chooses to use me, despite myself. And I remember leaving, and I go out to the lobby. My guys had picked me up at the airport, so they're taking me back to the, to the airport. And they're like, dude, what happened in there? I'm like, I have no idea. I said, God just showed up in an amazing way, and so we got to share our faith. Now, none of the guys that worked for me at the time were saved. We're, we're today, we're about an $80 million company. Everybody knows where I stand, where the owner stands. And they call us a faith-based company, even though that's not a, a tag on our company. But somehow they got this idea because when we would go interview people and I'd be out in the field doing interviews, I'd always somehow get into my testimony. I had no idea how, but it didn't matter. One guy was a DJ for a radio station and former alcoholic, and we started talking about Celebrate Recovery and this and that. And next thing you know, we're all sitting there weeping. It's the craziest thing on the planet. Um, but I get out to the car with these guys, and this guy sends me a text and said, Rick, I cannot thank you enough. You changed the way I feel about sharing my testimony, and I've committed to the Lord in prayer that I'll be as bold as you are today. And he says, I would love to do business with your company. And I remember how overwhelming that felt, that just sharing had nothing to do with business. I wasn't trying to sell at that point. I just wanted to make a connection. With, with that man. And I knew that's what God was telling me to do. We had totally got off the subject of work. So the fact that he texted me and gave us the contract to do business with him was just even more amazing that through all that, that would come through. But God continues to do that with us. If we're willing to put ourselves out there and we're not ashamed, we do have flaws and we're going to have flaws. 
But when we find them resurfacing, we just repent and we just ask, God, God, would you take this from me? I didn't mean to take it back from you. I left it at the foot of the cross. I left it at the altar. I don't want this junk in my life. And when we go through that, we can walk in that freedom. We can walk in that victory. We can walk in that transparency. And people can look at us and they say, I want what that dude has. As whacked out as he is, as bad as he is, I want what he has because they see something different that we don't see in ourselves. They see something that gives them hope beyond their circumstances, hope beyond their doubts, hope beyond their fears. And that's what we're called to do. If we're called to be a light, then we're going to have to be transparent because you can't be a light if you're not transparent. And it's not always easy, but it's always humbling, and it's always a remembrance of just how much he has done in our lives. And the biggest part of our story is what he's done in our lives. We're not, we are not defined by who we are or what we have done, but we're defined by who he is and what he has done in our lives. Second Corinthians 12.9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, he is strong. Isaiah 40, 29 says, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Romans eight twenty six says, in the same way the spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So I guess in closing, we'll have Catherine come up. Um, what, what do these verses show us? These verses show us that our source of strength and grace is when we face challenges and struggles in life. He understands our weaknesses and helps us to overcome them. It's by his power, his presence, he invites us to rely on him and trust him in all circumstances. God's grace is sufficient. Even when we fail, God's grace is sufficient. As we talked about earlier, Peter denied Jesus three times, but he was still forgiven. He became one of the most important leaders of the early Christian church. This shows us that no matter how flawed we are, God's grace is sufficient. And I invite you, if anyone needs prayer, we're going to have some folks come up this morning with Hank and Beverly and John and Miss Lisa and Colleen, we'd love to pray for you. If you guys want to come up, and uh, I think I'm just going to pray us out of here. And I'm grateful for our time, grateful for you being here today. I hope you have an amazing holiday. Father, we thank you for your grace. We th thank you for your strength that only you can give us, Lord, those things that we face that keep us up at night. We thank you that we can leave those here this morning and turn and walk away from them and not look back. And when we do pick them up, 
Lord, we just uh, repent and give them back to you because we know that you are in control. That of all the things we would strive to do and to fix and to be, we don't have to. We weren't good enough to earn our salvation. We can't be bad enough to lose our salvation because it's by your grace that we're saved. So, Lord, when we go through those times of taking things back, we just ask you to make us more aware. Our response is quicker. Help us to put on the full armor each morning, Lord, that we may stand firm in our faith and resist the temptations of the enemy and the fiery darts that come at us through our day. Thank you that you're in control of all the things, Lord, as we commit our spouses and our families and our children and our grandchildren and our work and our finance, all the things that can consume us. Lord, help us to take our eyes off of social media and the news and the things that they portray and the things that they represent and the agendas they have and just keep our eyes fixed on you, Lord, where our hope and our joy and our peace comes from. Because we can't have peace if we're in the world or we're of the world. We have to be called to be stood apart, that our walk looks different than the rest. We don't watch the same things that the world watches. We don't listen to the same things that the world watches. Not that we're better, we're worse, but we're trying to to prove ourselves to you, Lord, all the time. And we can't prove it, Lord. We just need to surrender and submit in humility and know that you can rescue us from those things. We have nothing to measure up for, Lord. You saved us when we were filthy rags. You saved us when we were in the depth of our sin. We know your goodness goes before us. We know that you make a way when there's no other way, no matter how dark things may look. We just need to call on you. And when our responses aren't as they should be, we just say, Holy Spirit, take our every thought captive. Take everything I see captive through your lens. Take everything I think captive through your lens. Take every hard-hearted place in my heart and break it for those things that break your heart. Lord, give me compassion. Give me forgiveness for those that have done me wrong. I'm tired of walking with those chains tired of being weighted down with those things, Lord. You know those things, and I'm leaving them here with you today. I'm breaking those chains now, and I'm going to walk in freedom. I'm going to walk in victory and authenticity and transparency in my life, and people are going to see you through me despite me. So, Lord, would you be with each one of us here today? And Lord, would you be with those that are unable to be here today? Would you bless them? Would you give them that peace that only you can bring? The hope that only you can show? Let us look at things through the, your eyes and the way you see things, Lord. Let us be drawn to those things that are wholesome. Let's put aside the things of the old man, the things of the flesh. Father, I thank you for your blessings. I thank you for each one that's here today. I thank you for those listening online, Lord, that you would touch their hearts today. We'd use your message, your words, Lord, that would give people hope and inspiration. And Lord, sometimes when it's the darkest is when we turn to look the other way and we try to withdraw and isolate and we don't think that we're worthy to go to you because we've messed up so bad, Lord. There's not such a thing. We know that's when we need to press in towards you even more. 
but the enemy would try to accuse us and say, eh, he's got a bad story, but yours is really bad. And if people knew, if people only knew what you'd done, they wouldn't, they wouldn't sit with you. They wouldn't allow you in their church, and that's just a lie from the enemy. That's a lie from the enemy today. If you've had those thoughts or those feelings that people have it all together, that is just not true. There's no measure of sin in heaven. There's no scale that says, oh, okay, yeah, well, Rick was had an anger problem or Rick had a drinking problem, but I've done this and I've done that, and that is just, no, that's not how God looks at it. Sin is sin. That's why he made it really clear when he talked about if you've had lust in your heart, then you've committed adultery. And you're like, I've never committed adultery. Well, if you've had lust in your heart, that's what the Bible says, because none of us are beyond sin. None of us can be pure enough. It's only by asking Jesus into our hearts and asking him to take away our sins and forgive us and repent and turn away from them that we can truly walk in what God has for us. And his ways are so much bigger than our ways. So, Father, we thank you again for this day, for this time, for your blessings. We ask you to go before us now in all those things that we do. Would we set our eyes upon you this week? Oh, we love you. We thank you and we praise you. And all God's people said amen. We'll have some folks come up here and pray. If you guys would like prayer, come on up.